So it seems like, um, do you find some of this kind of repetitious? Okay, because I'm like, oh, we're talking about God, the idols don't measure up to God again. Oh, we're talking about God knew the end from the beginning again. Oh, we're talking about, you know, and so I, I, I was thinking about it and I decided that one way to look at it is that it's like a symphony of themes. And so, um, you know, in a symphony, at this point, maybe there's, there's a, a flute solo and then, then the, all the different uh, uh, sections of the orchestra play together and then over here maybe there's a, a violin or a cello uh, they they do a there's they're emphasized here, but they but they all play. They're not just sitting there for decoration. And so tell me, let's talk about what are some of those themes. I mentioned one, and that is that that the idols are not real gods, right? God's the only real god. So what are some of the other themes? Let's say uh, since we started in book two, what what have we seen as book two? Uh, God is greater, greater than idols. Oh, God is going to redeem his people. Yes. God is the master of the universe. And in what way is he the master of the universe? Okay. Creator and I'll put sustainer. I don't know how to spell maintainer. <laughs> CEO, sustainer. Uh, any other themes? That, okay. Um, end from the beginning. Remember, he said that several times. Listen, I know the end from the beginning. Ask these idols. Can they? Can they tell you what's happening in the future? They can't even tell you what happened in the past. So, um, nose end from beginning. That's a phrase that he uses several times. Okay, any other significant? God is righteous. Okay, his character. He's righteous. Yes. I didn't say they had to be positive. <laughs> You're not listening. He confronts them uh, with the fact that they're they're just you know they're not getting it. Um, let me see. Did I have any other ones written down here? If I could find where I wrote them. Okay. Okay. Um, over. All rulers in world. Uh, in chapter 45, he says 11 times that I am the Lord and there is no other. Yeah. Not only is he greater than the idols, but he is the, the one and only. He's the only one. Um, Talking about him being over the worldly rulers, I jotted down it's Proverbs um, 
21.1, the heart of the king is in God's hands. Okay, so, so these are themes that we're seeing over and over, right? Partly because God wants them to get it, and then because he preserved it for us, he wants us to get it. But these are all, all themes, and there may be a couple more that we didn't think of or a different way we could have expressed it. But, but, the, but that's why it seems repetitious, because he'll emphasize one thing, and then he'll emphasize another thing, and then he'll bring in another thing. Now, we didn't include, which really we begin to get into in today's chapters, that God can do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to ask anybody's permission. He doesn't have to, um, you know, he's just free to do whatever he wants. Use whatever, whoever he wants. Use, you know, he's free. To, he's he's um, not, he doesn't have to submit to anybody. He's he's just free to do what he knows is best. So, so think of it like a symphony instead of it being repetitious. <laughs> um, and... And so, um, so these things, he's promised to redeem them. That's one of the important things. And all these things kind of revolve around that. Because remember, the first part of Isaiah was about the awful mess they're in. I mean, he talked a little bit about redemption, both, both um, near future and far future, even future to us. But, but he mostly was saying you guys are just not getting it you're stubborn you're you're uh, dumb you know like why aren't you getting it and so um <clears throat> when he redeems his people what does god think that's going to result in is that a good way to ask that that they would return to him what about um what it would show other people that he alone is God, because it's not common in history, and I don't even know if there's any other examples, that a people is run out of their land, and they live somewhere, but not for a few months in a refugee camp, but for decades, and then God brings them back to their land. That's pretty unusual in, in the way things go. So, yes. Oh, in 44, no, in 40, oh, verse, verse 21, okay, yes, he's Savior, so, um, I could add to Redeemer, sort of, I guess, righteous Savior, yep, Thank you. Okay, so, so um, let's see. So, he, so he's talking about what he's going to do. He's going to redeem them. And then he talks about um, why he's going to do it because his redeemed people will then demonstrate his superiority over the idols. That was kind of uh, 42, 43, first part of 44. And then at the end of 44, if you noticed in your lesson, they wanted us to, to wait and do the last four or five verses in chapter 44 with this lesson. And now he talks about, <clears throat> um, I guess, how he's going to redeem them. 
And so he, um, let's see, he reviews, this is in chapter 44, he reviews that he's the creator, the first couple of verses there, well, 24, I am, am the maker of all things, heaven, earth, um, you know, I, and then he talks about how he's greater than idols, making fools of the people that are into idols and all that. And then he says, um, down in verse 28, what does he reveal about how he's going to redeem his people? He reveals the name, right? Before he's talked about one from the east or one from the north. And he's used different um, um, He's talked, alluded to the person, but now he's naming his name. And, and so um, you have to think a little bit about these people because time-wise, um, Cyrus isn't even born yet. And Babylon is, um, Cyrus was a per Mede or Persian, right? And Babylon is the, is the power now, right? So there, he's talking about things that they can hardly imagine. God's telling his people this. Oh, yeah, there's going to be a guy named whatever, and, and I'm going to use him and all this stuff. But um, it's interesting. How does he uh, characterize Cyrus in verse 28? He is my shepherd. Isn't that interesting? A shepherd... I guess leads and feeds, right? Protects, if you think about a physical shepherd. And God has talked about kings, like the Davidic kings, as being the shepherds of his people. He's, he talks about, uh, sometimes about religious leaders being shepherds of his people. But now he's talking about this foreign king that God is going to use him as a shepherd. So that's pretty mind-blowing if you're the Jews, if you're the, the Judah and, and Israel. And did you notice now a lot of times he just says Israel? That means whoever of the Jews, north, south, because he's talking in times, some, sometimes in these prophecies. Okay, he will perform all my desire, and he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built, and of the temple your foundation will be laid. At the time they're hearing this, Jerusalem's fine. So why does it need to be built or rebuilt? And the temple is there. I mean, they're not, God is not too pleased with the way they're using it and worshiping. Remember clear back in chapter one where he said, you know, you make me sick with your offerings because you're not doing it from the heart. You're just going through the motions. So these are kind of um, <laughs> pretty impressive things that God is telling Isaiah to convey to these people because it's beyond their thinking of, you know, what, what could be the situation. Um, I did want to read a little bit. These, these are some cross-references that I found helpful, and I'm not going to read all of them, but in Second Chronicles. Now, Second Chronicles is, is part of the history of what was going on um, in Judah and Israel, and so we can compare what it says in Chronicles with what we see happening in Isaiah. So I wanted to read just a little bit in Second Chronicles, um, late in the book, 36. 
I can find 36. There it is. And um, I'll start actually at 10, I guess. It says, um, at the turn of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar, now, who's he, where is he king? Babylon, okay. Sent and brought him to Babylon. So it's talking about uh, the king of Judah, I believe. Brought him to Babylon with the valuable articles of the house of the Lord and made him, made his kinsman Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. So in other words, they took the, the king into captivity and put a puppet king in place. Zedekiah was uh, 21 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet. If you look at that prophet's and um, timeline, you could see that Jeremiah prophesied a, his time period was a little later than Isaiah's time period. And, and it says that um, he did not humble himself, the king did not humble himself before Jeremiah and also rebelled against the king who had made him swear allegiance by God. So this puppet king, he rebels against, against uh, Nebuchadnezzar and stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord. Furthermore, all the officials, the priests, and the people were very unfaithful, following the abominations of the nations, and they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore, so here's the result. He brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, which is, um, it's because Chaldea was part of the Babylonian empire, uh, who slew their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary, had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hands. All the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his officers, he brought them all to Babylon. So raided, raided the temple, raided the, the king. Remember, this is a Davidic line, and so it's going down sun to sun to sun to sun. So kind of like uh, the uh, Great Britain monarchy, they've, this family has amassed some wealth, right? And so he takes all that stuff. They burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its fortified buildings with fire and destroyed all its valuable articles. But some escaped. Those who had escaped from the sword, when they come in and just take over, he carried those away to Babylon and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths all the days of its desolation. It kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. And then it talks about the last couple of verses talk about uh, Cyrus coming to power, this Cyrus that we've heard about and that he gives the decree in his first year. He's, he had a different philosophy about how you run an empire. The Babylonians and the Assyrians, they like to uproot people and kind of disorient them. But Cyrus thought that things would be more peaceable if you let people live in their own land. 
So that, so that was his philosophy, and God used that, right? Okay, so let's... Um, now, why, why were they going into exile? Let's kind of get the big picture here. Why were they going into exile? Because what? Because Babylon wanted to conquer them. And why would God allow, why wouldn't God defend his people and say, no, Babylon, these are my people. You can't, you can't, you know. They were disobedient. They were idolatrous. They were disobedient. And what did you say, Susan? They had turned away from God. So it's a disciplinary measure. It's, um, he uses the word judgment. In other words, um, he uses this court picture several times it comes up like bring your witnesses let's let's decide and so God is saying look at how you are remember what I told you about if you obey me I will bless you but if you disobey me I will bring consequences including taking you out of this land and so that's what it's come to is taking them out of the land and so um they, that's why they have to go into exile. Now, is it, per, is it permanent? No. It's not permanent. Um, so it's going to be 70 years. And how are they going to get out when 70 years are up? See, like they don't know. There's like we're going away. They have, except for what the prophets had told them, they would just think we're done, you know. God's booted us out of the land. We, and some people would be mad at God, just like, just like us when something hard happens. Some of us get mad at God. Some of us say, well, I deserved it. God's going to punish me. But the smartest ones would say, or the wisest ones would say, you know, God's keeping his word. He said that he would do this. And he said he would do this if we met certain conditions, which were not good conditions. And so he's taking us away. But all in that, he still loves them. He still, uh, they're still his people. He still wants to give them hope. And so he's given them clues that it's going to be 70 years, which seems like a really long time. Which I mean, it's like a, a lifetime for some people, right? So, so um, he's telling them that he's going to use Cyrus if they would if they would get what he's saying that. I'm still in control. I'm not just turning you loose and sending you over there at the mercy of these barbarians. I'm still with you. I'm still, um, I, you're still my people. I'm still taking care of you. My eye is still on you. I'm, I'm setting limits as to what this guy can do. And, but he's also saying that when Cyrus comes to power, when the, when the power changes, that he's going to decree that they can go back home which seems kind of incredulous like they're just gonna let us go why well because it met Cyrus's purposes so let's look at um, let's look at chapter 45 in the first few verses um, who is God talking to He's talking to Cyrus. Now, it's not like Cyrus is standing there. Isaiah's standing here, and he says, thanks for coming, Cyrus. God has some things he wants you to know, and so, and then he tells him. He's just, he's saying, this is how I relate to Cyrus. Um, 
but it's for the, the, his own people's benefit. And maybe Cyrus did, maybe he was told some of this stuff. And so he says, thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. Oh my goodness, not only is he his shepherd, but he's the, his anointed. Now what does that mean, that he's his anointed? Chosen. The word anointed, um, the Hebrew word is Meshach. That's where they get the word Messiah, the English word Messiah. And, and the Messiah basically means anointed one. Uh, and, and it has to do with the oil that was used. Um, who in the Old Testament, what groups of people do you recall that would be anointed for a certain role they were going to play? The Levites, they were priests. Who else? Kings, Kings David, a um, couple of times prophets. So it was for a special role of serving God. And so he's saying, Cyrus, I'm, I'm anointing him in, in a sense. I've chosen him. Um, I've set him apart. Um, I'm consecrating him for this purpose. So I think they would have been surprised to hear people refer to, the people would have been surprised to hear him refer to Cyrus as his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue the nations before him and to loose the loins of kings and to open doors and how the gates won't be shut. And, and he says in verse two, I will go before you, make the rough places smooth, shatter the doors. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it is I. So there's one thing, one of his purposes. Yes, ma'am. I read uh, or heard somewhere in verses, uh, the next verses to open doors before him to gates and uh -huh. shut until the end of verse 3. Mm -hmm. That Herodotus, is that the name? The historian Herodotus. Said that when Cyrus went to Babylon, they um, diverted the Euphrates mm -hmm. and there was a wall. Mm -hmm. And behi behind the wall, there was a gate of bronze. And so, but they forgot to lock it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how Cyrus okay. got into uh, okay. Babylon. Okay. So that would make sense. Very interesting, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So Lucci's saying that she read that Herodotus, I think is how you pronounce it, the historian wrote that actually what happened when Cyrus came to um, Babylon, the, the city, uh, that they diverted the Euphrates River and all, changed some things around and they forgot to lock the bronze gate and so he came in through the bronze gate. So kind of interesting fulfillment. Um, so that you will know it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name for the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one. And then he says, I have also called you by your name and I've given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. So, so... A person does not have to be seeking God's will in order for God to use them. That's pretty practical. You know, I've, I've prayed before a lot of these phone calls, the red tape people, and some of them have been very helpful. But God, the person doesn't have to, God is not limited. He can use whoever he wants and whatever their attitude is. Um, but they don't have to be seeking him 
and saying, God, how could I serve you today? I know you, you want your people Israel to be back in the land. Could I please be a part of that? No, he doesn't. God is not limited. He doesn't have to have that. Uh, one commentator said, he, God does not need the permission of a person's faith in order to use them. In other words, he can use anybody, um, you know, like, like a donkey in the Bible. Okay, so he's talking about how even though you've not known me, again, he says, I'm the only God. Um, and, then, and then in the beginning of verse 6, he says, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one beside me. So, so when, what's that? Another purpose. That not only will Cyrus come to understand that God was in, you know, his victories and all that, but that I think when it says from the rising to the setting of the sun, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. So I think it means like all sorts of people, Gentiles, will know that, uh, that there's no God beside him. And again, he talks about that he's the creator. He causes well-being and creates calamity. In other words, he's the God of history. So, so this is, um, some people call this, what are they, it's like the, the Cyrus Oracle. It's like what God wants Cyrus to know, but basically he wants his people to know about how he views Cyrus and why he's using Cyrus. Um, we come down then to, to um, verse 9, and this might be for the people that said, I can't believe God would use somebody like that. Because it says, woe to the people who question God. If you say, why are you doing this? Or the, you know, the picture of the clay questioning the potter. And those, that picture is used um, in Romans 9, verse 20 and 21. And also um, the same picture about the clay and the potter we saw back in chapter 29 in Isaiah, uh, 29, 16, I think. So God is just another way of God saying, don't tell me how to do my business. <laughs> I'm the one that made all of you, and I can, you know, I can do this however. Because he emphasizes he's the maker. If you go down through the next few verses, down through that whole page, like to 14, he's the maker, he's the holy one of Israel, he's the creator, he's the Lord of hosts, he's the Lord. And some of those are repeated two or three times, just in those six verses. So he wants, he wants us to get that. And then in verse 11, now who is he talking to? Is it still Cyrus? You think, okay. So we have it. Which one? I wrote in the margin, go ahead, like, go ahead, ask me, you know, because it's kind of, he's kind of saying, no, it's not your place to be questioning me, what I want to do with my children. Um, uh, and you shall commit to me the work of my hands. It is I who made the earth, and I created man on it, and I stretched out the heavens, and I ordained all their hosts. I have aroused him, him being Cyrus, 
in righteousness. In other words, I'm not making a mistake. He's not saying Cyrus is righteous. He's saying, I am righteous. I am, I'm doing what's right. I, I'm, you know, a holy God. And I will make all his ways smooth. He will build my city and will let my exiles go free without any, any payment or reward. In other words, God didn't say, okay, Cyrus, here's the deal. If you'll let my people go, I'll see that you get this and this and this. Now, Cyrus did benefit because, you know, when you raid people and you, you, get, you get booty, you get, you get goods that you, that you steal from them. But God didn't tell him beforehand, if you will do this, I will give you this stuff. In other words, we didn't make a deal. I just tapped him on the shoulder and said, you, you're going to be doing this, right? Now... I think he's talking to his people now. Yeah, I think he's talking to his people. I didn't say that exactly, but um, because he said, look, I can use whoever I want. And, and then in verses 9 and 10, then in 11, I think he's saying to his people, because he's, it says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his maker. I think his is Israel's maker. I'm not sure. Okay, so then he talks about um, down in, in 14 and on down, he's talking about um, these different nations are going to come and they're going to bow down and all this stuff. And at first I thought he was talking to Cyrus, but then I kind of thought he was talking to Israel. And I think, again, I wouldn't take a bullet for it, but I think he's talking about at the end times, like in the millennial kingdom when all the nations will stream to, Ju to um, Jerusalem because he says, they will all come over to you and be yours. They will walk behind you. They will bow down. They will make supplication to you. God, surely God is with you and there is no one else, no other God. I think he's talking about Israel. Okay, but Israel is going to be so blessed. Yes. 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 God is going to bless Israel so much that others are going to be wanting to get in on that. That's what, what um, Lucci's saying. So, so if you think about it, this, the flow of this chapter is he starts out and he says, okay, I just told you, Cyrus is the guy. I've been hinting around, but I'm going to tell you it's Cyrus, at the, he said at the end of 44. And then he says, you know what? I can use whoever I want, and he gives several reasons for that, like he's the creator, and he's wise, and he's righteous, and all that stuff. And then he says, don't be questioning me. Don't, be, you know, the potter and the clay, all that stuff. And then he says, but eventually, this is going to be a step. This, uh, what I'm going to do through Cyrus is a step toward what I'm going to ultimately do with my people. I think that might be what 14 um, is about. And then 15 is a little bit of a change because it's somebody talking to God, right? Truly, you are a God who hides himself. Hides himself. And then he talks about the idols and that, everything okay? <laughs> Israel has been saved. I, I really like this verse. Israel has been saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will not be put to shame or humiliated to all eternity. So 
So he's just saying, look, I still got my hand on you guys, and I, and I will in the future too, and when you go into exile, I will, and then I'm going to bring have this king, this emperor, my, my little um, puppet, sort of, he's going to be the one that, that sends you back. So there's a, um, God's, I think he's reassuring his people, don't ask questions, because what I'm doing with, with Cyrus is a small piece of the big picture. Maybe. Okay, then in verse 18, he says, for, so, so they, there must be some connection. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he's the God, and then in parentheses, by the way, in case you're confused, he's the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and he did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. So then here's what he said. I am the Lord and there is no one else. I have, I have not spoken in secret and or in some dark land in other words i'm not hidden it's not hard if you guys want to come to me if you want to talk to me i'm just right here i'm not hiding myself from you i'm not making it difficult for you to find me um and and in that in verses 18 and 19 there's at least five different verbs about god speaking speaking saying uh spoken uh declaring all that stuff. Um, so, uh, verse 20, who is this addressed to? Gather yourselves and come. Draw near together, you fugitives of the nations. So, it could either be the fugitives, God's people who are, who are scattered through the nations, or it could be the the people from the various nations who are fugitives. So we, we probably have to read a little more. Um, so what he's inviting them to do, well, first he says they have no knowledge, those who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God who cannot save. So, so um, he must be talking about idolaters. So declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. And here's the question. Who has announced this from of old? And the other question, who has long since declared it? So those are two ways of saying the same thing. And the answer is, the answer is, <laughs> is it not I the Lord? There's no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is no one except me. So um, he, I think he just wants his people to get it, that he really is God. He's the God. He's the only God. Let me see if we're, if we're, your creator is your savior. Let's see. Okay, so now a, another contrast with the idols, because he says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. So that sounds like uh, more than just the Jews, right? For I am God and there is no other. Now notice here he doesn't say I'm the God of Israel, because I think, I think he's talking to everybody. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness, and it will not turn back. That to me, every knee will bow, every tongue, not just the Jewish ones, and every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him, and all who were angry at him will be put to shame in the Lord 
all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Now, uh, back up when it talks about uh, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Um, does that ring any bells? Have you, where have you seen that? Romans 14.11. So Paul used it when he wrote to the Romans. Where else? Anywhere else in the New Testament? Philippians 2, 9, 10, 11 in there. 14, 11. And Romans, I mean Philippians 2, 10, or 10 and 11. So when he says every knee will bow, some will do it willingly um, and recognize um, God the Father and Jesus as the Savior, but some will be forced to do it, um, you know, not by their choice. Uh, men will come to him and all who were angry, oh, I read that, they will be put to shame. Okay, um, so, so he's promised to redeem his people. And um, what, does, what redeeming is he talking about here? When he says he will, he's their redeemer, he will bring them back and all that stuff. What, I mean, because redemption, redeem can mean different things, right? Okay, so uh, Lucci said that it literally means to buy back or to deliver out of slavery or to, um, to oh, what's the word? Um, I wrote it down here somewhere. Let's see. Ransom. That's, yes, that's a good one. To ransom, to buy back, to, to um, purchase, to to save. It's like if you went to the slave market and bought somebody and and then instead of making them your slave, you set them free. Yeah. Yeah, ransom. And so so when when he's talking I am your redeemer, mostly in here he's talking about he's going to redeem them from captivity. But he's also redeemed them in the past. He's, he brought his people out of Egypt. Remember, he redeemed them out of Egypt because they were enslaved in Egypt. So, and that was a huge event in their history. There's, if you think about how many references there are back to the deliverance from Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea, that, that was a big event in their history that they pointed to that reminded them of God's care. So, okay, so let's, um, let's see, did I leave anything out? Why were they in captivity? We talked about that. Oh, I know, I wanted to read in Ezra a couple of places because um, all this stuff that God said about Cyrus, you will know it is me doing it and all that stuff. So, you know, I don't ever remember Cyrus being like, you know, the next priest or or prophet or something and so I I was wondering well like did he did he really recognize it and so there are some passages where he says um, some things that make it sound very much like he did recognize not I don't know that it's saving uh, insight but but that he recognized and gives God some credit so if I could find it it's in Ezra 
which is, I think, right after, before Nehemiah. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. Yeah, yeah, it's right. If you if you turn to Chronicles 36 that I read, it's like on the next page, I think. <clears throat> so Ezra, um, I have down the first 11 verses. It says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, he didn't waste much time. His first year after he conquered and took over uh, the Babylonian empire, in his first year, Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Jeremiah had also prophesied this, not, not just Isaiah. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So he's at least recognizing that God has had a hand in him being able to conquer and, and that God um, has appointed him to build this house, the house of the Lord, the temple. Whoever there is, so this is what he's saying in light of that. Whoever there is among all of you, his people, these are the people in captivity, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Every survivor at whatever place he may live, let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle, together with a freewill offering for the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. So um, I, maybe I won't read the rest of that. Uh, it just kind of lists the next few verses. I was going to read down to 11, but it just lists a, a lot of the things that they took with them. That tells me I think that I have 15 minutes left. <laughs> 15 minutes. We're fine. We just have, we just have a short chapter of 13 13 verses. Okay, then later in Ezra, all that just kind of, um, it just kind of reviews it. Uh, it says, um, we are servants of the God of heaven and earth and are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had provoked the God of heaven to wrath, so at least they recognize why this is Ezra 5, um, 12. He, God, gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. However, I always like that because it's like, however, God had other ideas. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house of God. Also the gold and the silver, all that stuff was to be restored. And it goes um, clear down into chapter six where um, the, the next, let's see, the next king, I think. Darius, Darius. Anyway, 
Um, so yes, he did at least acknowledge that that part of his credit for his victories was that God had enabled him to, and he had a sense that God wants me to do this. God wants me. It wasn't just like, oh, I think I should do that, but he seems to say that God wanted him to do it. So again, I don't know if that's saving faith or if it's just an acknowledgement of God used him. Um, let's see. All right, let's go on to 46. Uh, what's this chapter about? Hint, it kind of starts a section. <laughs> But what's it, what, what title or what, what's the theme? God's a Babylon. So he's starting to talk about Babylon now because he said, he's, he's told his people that the empire after Babylon is when Cyrus is going to be the ruler and he's going to bring the exiles back. But they're going to be away for 70 years. So now he's going to, talk some about how he's going to get rid of, how God's going to bring down Babylon. So it says, uh, Bel has bowed down and Nebo stoops over. So who or what are the are Bel and Nebo? Idols or gods of Babylonian Yeah, so they're Bab some Babylonian gods, right? So it says that they, they have they're they're down they've stooped over their images are and and the word consigned is added in there to the beasts and the cattle so it sounds like maybe maybe they they've begun to um, express these gods as animals like the figurines look like animals I, that's the best i can do of what that line means uh, in other words they are things that you carry and they are burdensome a load for the weary beast. They stooped over, they have bowed down, they could not rescue the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. So in other words, not only are these idols useless, but when the Babylonians were driven out, they carried their idols with them. The idols couldn't carry them or rescue them or protect them or save them. They had to pick up their idols and hoist them along on their weary beasts, right? So he says, listen to me, O house of Jacob. So it's like, you guys ought to learn something from this about idols, right? And then he talks about the remnant. We haven't seen the word remnant for a little while. All the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from birth, as opposed to having to carry their gods on animals, I have borne you, I have, I have carried you. Uh, and have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you. And I will bear you, and I will deliver you. So there's, there's uh, five I wills and one I have. So he's, he's just assuring them that, listen, it doesn't work that way with us. I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to pick me up and wrap me and strap me on your mule, you know, when you're running off, but I'm going to take care of you instead. It's, it's me taking care of you. So down about, um, uh, clear to, through verse 7 or so, he's talking about idols, because 5 through 7, what's he, what's he asking them? Yeah, how can you say... How can you put a little chart and say, okay, let's talk about God's pros and cons and let's talk about these items? No. 
Uh, who, to whom would you liken me? Uh, make me equal, compare me, that we would be alike. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh silver on the scale, and you know, in other words, they go and pay somebody to make them these figurines, um, and then they bow down and worship it. Verse 7, they lift it upon the shoulder and carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It does not move from its place. Though one may cry to it, it cannot answer. It cannot deliver him from his distress. So he's just taken home again the fact that these idols, it's just foolish to create something and then worship it. And, you know, we say, oh, we don't have little figurines, but, and David talked about this a little bit last week in the lecture, how if I have a distorted view of the God of the Bible so that I'm never confronted God never confronts me with anything in my life. He just winks and smiles. Then I'm probably not worshiping the real God of the Bible. I'm probably, one person said, I'm probably worshiping an idealized version of myself. Well, you know, I want to be a little kind. God's really kind. My God, my God, you hear people say, well, my God would never do that. Like, oh, well, you have a different God then, you know, <laughs> but... My God does this, and my God likes that. And so, like, I might say, well, my God is very kind. Now, I'm not as kind as he is, but, you know, I'm trying. I'm trying to be kinder, you know. So every little pathetic thing that I do, I imagine that God just is, yay, so tickled with me. So it's really easy to fashion a God to our own liking. And, and you know, we say, oh, that's ridiculous. How could they make those those little figurines and then worship them. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. He's talking to his own people now. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure calling a bird of prey from the east bird of prey who's that Cyrus the man of my purpose Cyrus from a far country truly I have spoken truly I will bring it to pass I have planned it surely I will do it listen to me you stubborn minded still talking to his own people who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It's not far off and my salvation will not delay. And I will grant or put salvation in Zion and my glory for Israel. So he's, he's just, part of it he's talking about bringing them back from the exile and then he's also giving a little glimpse of what he's going to do at the end time. So, <sighs> I think that's it. We'll see what David